0: Welcome. If you're here visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and um, we're in uh, the final week of a series in Philippians. From time to time, Linda, who for those of you who don't know, is my, my wife of almost 43 years, and uh, an amazing person. Uh, once in a while she says to me something like, sometimes I just have to get out of bed, Tell myself what is true, believe it, and choose to live in it. That's that's not an uncommon thought for her. It isn't to say that Linda's any more capable of what Paul would call living by the law. You know, she can just pull herself up by her bootstraps and live by her resolve. She's not carried by her resolve. She's carried by the Holy Spirit constantly reminding her of what's true. In fact, she's carried by the one who is true. And she knows from long and sometimes hard-earned experience that what she knows to be true is greater than what she feels quite often. It's greater than any circumstance that she might be in in the moment. It's greater than a circumstance she fears might be coming around the corner. A simple way to say that might be this, there's an old kind of thing, faith over feelings, that her faith will prove to be greater than her feelings. But uh, I think a better way to understand it is she knows the faithfulness of God, this one who loves her, is worth banking on. She knows God. She knows his character. She knows that he's good and only good and that he loves her and is for her. And so she can face those mornings Remember those things with the help of the Holy Spirit. Get up and live. You can put the first slide up there. Thanks. The main point of our passage this morning as we close out our series in Philippians is to trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit to do god work god's work in us, and to transform our minds, reminding us of what we know to be true. Convicting us of sin sometimes when it's necessary. Teaching us things we don't know yet. Revealing more of Christ to us. That's the first point. The second one is to think about Christ and everything that's eternally good. And the third one is to practice. Practice what we know. Practice what we've seen, heard, and know to be true. With that in mind, as we come to the end of this letter, Paul's letter to these dear friends in the Greek city of Philippi, We read, this is what we've heard in the last few weeks. He told them, he started out telling them that he had them in his heart. That he was thankful to God every time he remembered them. He had a whole bunch of different things to say. And everything that he said came back to the wonder of Christ and what he has done for us. And how much better it is to have and know Christ than to possess anything else. He also talked about his confidence that God, the God who began this work in us, will carry it out. He will carry it to the end until the Lord himself returns. He also talked with excitement and conviction about how the Lord had used his truly awful circumstances, his imprisonment, to make the good news of Jesus and his kingdom prosper. He was grateful for the privilege that's given to all of us, not only to believe, but to suffer with him. To suffer for Christ And he urged his readers to love each other, to agree with one another about everything that matters, to to be of one spirit and focused on a single purpose, to set aside their self-interest for the interests of others. Paul gave two significant illustrations of this life, this way of life. Jordan talked to us about the first one in Philippians 2 a few weeks ago. The Lord Jesus himself set aside all his heavenly privileges in order to come to earth to accomplish the purpose of God for us. And then Joel spoke last week on this second example. Paul, his second example was his own life. Paul also laid aside his own privileges, everything he could boast about, because he knew how much more valuable it was to know Christ than anything else. Well, as Ethan pointed out a couple of weeks ago, these might be Paul's last words to these people that he loved so much. And one of his closing thoughts, Paul says, Think the way that I think. Have the same attitude that I have. And if you don't think that way already, then rely on God to reveal it to you. But imitate me. Think about Christ and all that is eternally good. And practice all you've learned from me and know to be true. Think the way I think. Live the way I live. Live a life of rejoicing in every circumstance. Because we are citizens of heaven. And we shouldn't have our thoughts focused on earthly things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this book. We thank you for the life of Paul and Timothy who wrote it. We thank you that you are the same living God who spoke it to them as they wrote this down. You're the same living God today. We ask you to keep these words alive to us, words that many of us have read many times, words that some of us may be looking at. In a fresh way for the first time, Lord, we just ask you to make them fresh and alive to us and um, change us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we pick up today's reading, beginning in chapter 3, verse 15, if you want to read along. Paul has just said, right before this last week's passage that he considered everything, every earthy credential that he had or advantage less valuable. He'd given this example of his own life. He wanted to know Christ. He wanted to know more of Christ, uh, power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And because Paul, because Christ had made Paul his own, Paul was eager to have all the experience of Christ that he could possibly have. And he had the past in the rear view mirror and was reaching forward. And so we'll pick up here in, chapter 3, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and am now telling you again, even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly or their appetites, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And now I'm jumping to chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So what Paul's done here, he switched, starting at verse 13, from sharing a personal testimony as an illustration, he switched from that to giving us an exhortation. Think this way, he says. In the New American Standard, it says, have this attitude. And the NIV says, take such a view of things. In other words, look at what I've just talked to you about my life and how I view these things and have that view. Take what view? Rest with confidence what's true. You belong to Christ. Stop valuing things that won't last. Consider everything as worth far less than knowing Christ. Forget what lies behind it and reach ahead. Persevere to make deeper fellowship with Christ your experience now if you're like me you might think from time to time how can I possibly do that stuff faithfully if you really knew my sins and my failures you'd understand that is just forget about it it didn't happen and besides what about all the things of Christ that I do not know things that I don't even know to pursue things that I don't know that I don't know there's so much out there how on earth am I going to do this well, first, if you, don't take, if, if you can do nothing else, take your stand on the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for you. Your blood, the Lord's blood has separated you from your sin and your sins, your sins of yesterday, your sins of today, your sins of tomorrow. It's helpful for me to remember that the Lord Jesus died for all my sins, every one of them, before I was ever born. And that's true of you, too. We are loved by God. God knows all my weaknesses, all your weaknesses and failures. He knows what you don't understand. He knows you. He knows your names. He knows everything that makes you, you. And his response is that he loves you. And he will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. If you're hurting, he won't smash you down. The prophet Isaiah says, He will lead his flock like a shepherd and carry his lambs close to his heart. We don't pursue him because we have to prove ourselves to him. We pursue him because he loves us and we pursue him because we're his and we want him to be ours because he's the best thing that ever happened to us. So the first thing I say is take your stand on the blood. The second thing, when Paul says, mature people will think this way, he follows it with an acknowledgement that we don't always do that. We don't often do it often because we don't know how to think the way that he thinks. Well, Paul says, if we don't think this way to trust God to reveal it to us, he will reveal to us what we lack. God will reveal to us the ways in the which our thinking is wrong. This is what it means to have our minds transformed. The way we think is still out of whack in a lot of ways. Mine are. The way I think certainly is. And he will reveal to us the misconceptions we have. He will reveal these things so that we can keep learning to put value in the right place. To see Jesus as the best thing that's ever happened to me, to you, and to the world. A couple of questions that pop into mind for me are, how does God do that, and what is my part? How do we participate in that? Well, there's two ideas that spring out of this passage. The first is the verse that we just read and looks back to the Gospel of John. I've been talking about that, and that is to rely on the Holy Spirit, who is the revealer. And the second is to imitate Paul and others who live lives worth imitating. You can put up the second slide, Kyle, thanks. In John 14 and 16, the Lord Jesus told us very clearly that he and the Father would send the Holy Spirit to remind us of what we know to be true. He said he will send the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin when it's necessary, to teach us things that we don't yet know, and to disclose or reveal more of the Father and the Son to us. To remind us, to convict us, to teach us and to reveal in the Philippians passage we just read. Paul is basically saying, if you or I are subconsciously considering something in our lives more valuable than Christ, God will reveal it to us if we let him. We don't have to worry about all the stuff we don't know as though that is going to keep us out of fellowship. God himself will do the revealing that draws us into closer fellowship. He's reminding these readers and us of the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to reveal things to us. He loves to tell us all about ourselves, the ways that we're limited, the ways that we need Jesus he loves to do that. He loves to reveal to us more about the wonder and the and the richness of Jesus. And he loves to reveal who we are in him. The more we learn about ourselves and of him, the more we will rightly think about where life is found and where value really lies. He'll help us. The Lord's purpose is to help us learn more and more what really matters. So I, I say that. And I personally take encouragement from this. I say this to be encouraged because those who keep seeking will keep finding. The Lord's very clear on that in the Gospels. Those who keep seeking will keep finding. That's not just a verse that you say at an evangelistic rally. Everybody comes forward, they give their life to Jesus, and that's the end of it. No, this is a lifelong deal. As long as we're seeking We will have things revealed to us by him. Let's trust him and seek him. And while we're seeking him, Paul said in the passage we just read, let's be faithful to hang on to what we already have. Be faithful to keep hold of what we've already attained, what's already been revealed, things we already know, things that we already know about our weakness and his strength, our limits and his limitlessness. The emptiness of earthly things and the value of heavenly things, live in it, abide in it, don't treat it lightly, persevere in it, like Linda, sometimes I just have to get up in the morning, tell myself what is true, choose it, believe it, and live in it. God is for us. He is with us. He is he's the one who began all this work, Paul said in the first chapter of this book we've been reading. He began it all, and he's the one who's going to keep doing it until the day the Lord Jesus returns. So we rely on the Holy Spirit in us as teacher and revealer. So that's the first point. The second one is to watch and listen and imitate those worth imitating. In 317, we read a minute ago, Paul wrote, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The NIV says, join together in following my example. In 1 Corinthians 11, he adds, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, that's just a bold statement. That's crazy bold. I hope for your sake, I really do, that you have people in your life, currently or in the past, that you want to emulate, you want to imitate, you want to be like them. That's who you want to be like. They don't have to be perfect. They never are. Paul wasn't. But can you imagine yourself saying to someone, imitate me? Think the way I think and act the way that I act. I think most of us would shy away from making such a statement. It sounds so boastful. And even if we thought such a thing, We wouldn't say it out loud because it just sounds arrogant. I think this admonition to imitate Paul, though, and keep our eyes on others who walk according to the pattern, he says, live the way he lived, has two thrusts built into it. The first is obvious. Watch, listen, and learn from people who are worth emulating. The second one is to grow up to be somebody worth emulating. Someone who other people can take encouragement from. Imagine that. What, we know what things we see in others that cause us to want to be like them, that draw us to them. They have the aroma of Christ is a, is a way that Paul speaks about. It. It's kind of a funny terminology, but it's just people who draw us to them because we, we sense the Lord in their presence and we want to be like them. What would it mean or look like for us to live a life that was worth emulating? Is your life. Is your life one that you would encourage others to imitate? You'll probably never get to the point where you want to say, imitate me. Well, maybe you will. I I don't think I will. Look, this isn't meant to be a guilt trip. It's not like go home and be better so people will want to be like you. But are we in the business of making disciples, which always begins with being one? Being one who pursues more of the Lord are we those who remember our own weakness as we're walking with other people who are hurting and needy are we are we those people who help others remember who God is all that he's done and who we are in him am I eager for daily fellowship with the spirit of Christ and encouraging others to learn that same eagerness or is my life sending a different kind of message? Right after that passage, right after that verse, right after Paul invited everybody to imitate him, Paul reminded them that focusing their mind on earthly things and living by their appetites would lead, lead them to be enemies of the cross of Christ. Living by our appetites leads us to be enemies of the cross of Christ. This is not a trite theological phrase for Paul. He says it, he says through his tears, as he remembers real people, friends who have turned their back on the Lord and gone back to the world. I'm going to guess that many of you have seen the movie, The Matrix. Has anybody seen the movie, The Matrix? Okay, a whole bunch of people, not everybody. Um, I'm not a big movie guy necessarily, and I'm not a big movie illustration guy, but that movie is, it's, it's very unique. It's a unique kind of a movie to me anyway, in my perspective. Anyway, like most movies, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy, a protagonist and antagonist. We meet them early in the movie. In the beginning of the movie, the good guy is a guy named Morpheus and his crew, and and later Neo, this guy, character Neo comes along. He's, he's one of the good guys. Um, the initial bad guy is a guy named Agent Smith and all his cronies. They're basically just trying to thwart everything that that uh, Morpheus is trying to do. And the, here's the deal. The good guys, Morpheus and his crew, are alive and free. Now, if you look at their circumstances, you wouldn't think so. If you look at the Morpheus and his crew, now, They they live in a place where where Morpheus and his crew live. They're alive and free. Everybody else in the world lives in a thing called the Matrix that looks a heck of a lot better in a lot of situations (laughs) than where they live. But it's unreal. It's been created for them. They don't even know they're living in bondage. Well, they appear to have a much more pleasant life than Morpheus and his crew, but it's all bogus. It feels wonderful a lot of the time. Neo, this other character, doesn't know it at first, but he's come to free them from the Matrix. And Agent Agent Smith and his cronies are fighting to keep them from happening. Now, that's all just a setup for those of you who haven't seen the movie in a long time and some of you who haven't seen it at all. There's another really important character in the movie. His name is Cypher. He's a big, big big-time character. He starts out as one of the members of Morpheus' good guy team. Um, he appears to be one of the good guys, but the often horrible physical circumstances of Cypher's current living arrangements, the way that Morpheus and his crew live, sort of like Paul in prison, frankly, crowd out the value of the freedom that he has. He has an appetite for things that are only found in the Matrix, even though he knows they're bogus. They're tasty Anyway. There's this scene where he's eating a steak, and he just says, he knows. He knows it's not even real. But it's so good. He eventually gets lured back to the comfort of captivity and the allure of delicious but ultimately fake meals, and he doesn't just go back. He becomes a traitor, an enemy of those who are truly alive and an enemy of the truth itself. As relates to the gospel, Paul knew such people and it broke his heart. He was pleading with his dear friends in Philippi. This is not who we are. Let us not be that people. Look, appetites are normal. In fact, they're, part, they're not just part of the human condition. Desire is a godly attribute to want things. We desire things. We desire many things that are good things. But to live by our desires is to die by them. As Joel pointed out last week, Paul gave up tons of things. Things that a lot of people would consider good things. To follow Christ and to serve his people. Paul himself said that if he wanted to get into a boasting contest with somebody else about all his credentials, he would win. But it's it's um it's not conceivable to me that Paul didn't sometimes long for something else or desire something else. I, I can't you know, he. He didn't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, it was the goal of my life to spend my years in prison or to be beaten or whatever. That wasn't you know, he would he'd like something. He'd like to have maybe a good job, a family who knows, you know. He wasn't blind to his own circumstances. He didn't he wasn't blind to the fact that his circumstances were not so great, but his his circumstances, as we heard last week, were not his guiding star. He had learned to be content. He had learned to be content, in whatever circumstances, he was in. He, he, he could be in humble circumstances, he could be in prosperity and he had experienced all these things, he could be filled, he could go hungry. He could have abundance. He could suffer need. The quality of his circumstances were not relevant to his choices. They just weren't linked. He was not ruled by his desires. He knew that putting more value on whatever we can see and touch and whatever pleases our senses than we put on knowing Christ, the unseen one, might result in some temporary pleasure. But it won't lead to anything of lasting value. He knew the call in his life. He knew that the only thing worth anything was Christ Jesus. He knew the only thing worth doing was following Christ, regardless of the cost. His mind wasn't on earthly things or earthly concerns. And his simple counsel to us, his antidote for setting our minds on earthly things and being lured back into living by our appetites, was to walk according to the example that you have in us. Join in imitating me. Go to the next slide. Kyle, thanks. Think about. Think about all that is true. Think about all that's honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about the Lord Jesus. Fix your mind on him. And the next slide. And practice these things. Practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen in Paul. By practice, he means take advantage of every opportunity in every circumstance to be a light shining in a dark place. We heard about that in a past, in a, a past um, sermon. The gospel was actually advanced. Because he took advantage of being in prison and what that offered, the opportunities that that created. In every way, Paul's inviting us to grab the opportunity to spend our life on the Lord Jesus so that we can keep finding our life in him, because our citizenship is in heaven. Today, right now, right this very second, the Lord Jesus is seated on the throne in heaven right now. That's what's going on in the heavenlies right now. And he is in that heavenly kingdom as king. Our citizenship is in that place right now. He is king there right now, and we are citizens there right now. And from that place, Paul says, we wait. We wait with anticipation for the Lord Jesus to return here where we are and make this Establish his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. Well, to finish up, I'm just going to read another little section in chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. And I'm jumping to verse 4 if you're following along. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Stand firm, he says. Hold on to what you have. Proclaim your joy in God and who you are in him. Rejoice in the Lord at all, all the time, all the time and in every circumstance. And be visibly gentle with one another as a testimony to the world. What a calling. What a privilege. As we consider Christ as more valuable than anything else and others as more important than ourselves, we shine as lights in a world, a dark world, offering the same hope in Christ Jesus that was offered to us. Be at peace, he says, as you trust God together. Tell him what you need, and he will guard your hearts. Because we know the Lord is near, we can keep learning to be at peace. His nearness is our peace. Because we know the Lord is both fully in charge and fully in love with us. We can bring our every need, our every fear, and our every longing, our every request, praying to Him with thanksgiving. Last slide, Kyle. As we leave here today, I hope we're encouraged to trust the Holy Spirit to do God's work in us and transform our minds. It's His job, it's His work. To teach us things that we don't know yet. I hope we're encouraged to think about the Lord Jesus. Dwell on him. Meditate on him. And everything that is eternally good. And to practice. To get up in the morning. And practice what we have seen and heard and know to be true. Hear this simple benediction from the very end of the letter. The living God who loves you will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To him, our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. if some folks could come up now and distribute the elements we'll turn to communion in a minute in chapter 1 of Philippians Paul said he was confident that God who began this work in us would keep doing it until the Lord Jesus returns in bodily form so the Holy Spirit's going to be actively doing this until then as we come to this table one of the reasons we do it Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, is to remember the Lord Jesus until he comes again in bodily form. Ten days ago, um, ten days ago was the 20th anniversary of my father's death. And I, I still miss my dad. (laughs) I think about him. um, I remember him fondly but that's not the kind of remembering that Paul is talking about when he says that we come to this table remembering the Lord until he comes. To remember the Lord Jesus isn't to just look back to a slain Palestinian Jew 2,000 years ago. It's not just looking back to a man who lived 2,000 years ago and died for us. It's to remember the resurrected living king who right this very minute, right now, is in this room and seated on the throne in the heavenly realms. It's to remember the Savior who is right now living in you, in your spirit. It's to remember him, that one. It's to remember the Lord who, as the Holy Spirit, is conforming you and I to his own image right now. He is working in us to remind us, to teach us, to convict us, to reveal things of God to us. And he's going to be doing that work until the day that he comes back. As we take this bread, and I invite you to take it out which is a picture of the Lord's dead body broken to take away our sins. And as we take this cup, which is a picture of his blood shed to inaugurate the new covenant between God and his people, we remember we remember Messiah, who is all of these things. At the same time, he's the one who created the world. He is the one who came here and lived as a man. He's the one who died and rose again. He is alive right now and actively working in us. And when we least expect it, he is going to return in human form to the earth. That's who we remember. So we remember the Lord Jesus. Lord, we remember you. As we take this bread and this cup with joy and anticipation, take and eat. Remember the Lord Jesus. And take and drink. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Amen. The Lord's good and faithful.